If you missed the announcement, we're dismissing Children's Church. Right. A passage that has been waiting, waiting for this opportunity. I will tell you that I began the, the work, the groundwork on this sermon um, before Falls Creek, and it became me because of the timing of everything that um, we wanted to give Brandon an opportunity to share before they, they departed to leave, and so let him have the Sunday after Falls Creek where this message was, was initially intended to land. And then, of course, the commissioning service last week. So I've been champing at the bit to share with you this passage. And in the same vein of everything that we've been talking about with regard to loving your neighbor, there's a, a picture that pops up in John that Jesus gives us something. Um, so we're going to look together at John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 31 through 34, 35. And so if you want to turn in God's word with me to John chapter 13, verse 31, and when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. It says in the scriptures, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that your timing that it works out so powerfully in us, Lord, to, to do and to perfect your will in our lives. I pray that as we look to the scripture that we will be reminded that the voice by which you speak is that of the kings, nothing less. And Lord, that we ought to hear these words as commands and we ought to run forth to do them with all of our strength. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. And I shared a story this weekend well, with some family, and I shared only part of the story. We were talking about some things that had happened when I was a young, younger um, individual, back when I was just a, a, an old boy, if you will, in, in high school. And, and I remember that we, I had become part of the football team at the high school that I was a part of and um, had been a perennial loser for years and years and years and years, just bad, bad at football, just bad. And we got a new coach, and got a new athletic director as a result, and all the things are starting to come together, and coach is starting to put together a pretty competitive team. And, and, you know, and something happened. Something miraculous happened in the course of this action. We started to score some points. I mean, it was a marvelous for a perennial loser that was just incapable of finding the end zone. Our team started to score. Now that first year, as him as head coach, you know, we were scratching at the door of victory but could not find it until about, you know, three quarters, almost you know, four-fifths the way to the end of the season, and we finally, we finally won a game. And you would have thought that we had won the Super Bowl because we broke this long-standing drought and the celebration that ensued, you know. And then the next year we come out and we're, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, right? Everything about us is fortified. We're, 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 we're not, we're not as, as pathetic or as mealy as we'd once had been. And we start, we just start into the round robin and we make it all the way to the, the, the championship game of that. We didn't win it, but, and then we get into the, to the actual games and we just start reeling off some wins. And people are like, wow. And in the community, it was really weird because nobody said nothing 
I know that's good grammar, right? But nobody said nothing to us about anything to do with sports or football. It didn't matter how much stuff you wore, but man, I could remember being in public with my father or just out, and people would recognize the jersey or they would recognize the, the football t-shirt or they would recognize the letterman jacket, and they'd be like, man, you guys are doing amazing. And they just, it was amazing how excitement would roll up on people because they'd be like, wow, look at the success. And I remember that was such a foreign feeling to me. I also remember, and, and you know, being a part of that team for a couple of years, that the good is really good. But then awful things also happen, and your reputation is affected by those kinds of things as well. I can remember one night getting back late after a tough game on the road where we had lost, and our quarterback's vehicle had been broken into while we were gone. And his tires had all, I mean, he didn't realize it at the time, but his tires had all been sliced. And so he went to pull out of there after realizing that everything in his vehicle had been gone through and taken, and he went to drive out of there. Later, the police would stop a young man and found his wallet and stuff and unfortunately just happened to be one of our other teammates who had some friends that had ransacked his car and and it was a it was a death blow to the morale of the team you know you've got this really high beginning to the seasons and then you've got this really low moment and you're like and you're like brother ben where are you going with this and i'm going to tell you something that when you look at these passages you'll see jesus is talking about when the good stuff is happening and he's glorified that it it goes all the way up the tree Everybody, you know, gets the light. It, it is amazing how God is glorified when Jesus is glorified. But then when bad stuff happens, it also, it also affects the testimony of everybody in the group. And it's amazing how when we look to Scripture and we see these passages about how we should behave, we begin to realize that your actions affect the group. And that when you're a part of this thing, every part of it matters. You matter. You come to church here and you tell people you come to church here, that matters with how you behave and how you speak and how you act towards other people. Because what they will say is, if that person who goes to that church behaves this way, I will either choose to invest more or choose to run away fast. It will behave in and of itself as a testimony, your actions, and it will affect change. So when Jesus opens this up, he says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. You see a little success in a high school football team, it affects the team, it affects the community, it affects my family, it affects everybody. It was positive, positive, positive. I can only imagine what this looks like, that as Jesus begins to get traction in the world that he lives in, him, by the way, being the king over all creation, I mean, the Bible describes Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when the light is shined on him, it goes all the way up to the Father. And he makes a very clear point. And, and point number one, if you're taking notes, when Jesus is glorified, God is glorified, there's something to be said about us doing something to glorify Jesus. And I will suggest to you that if you can point all the light back to Jesus, it'll just go right up to the top of the kingdom. You see, what, what our hope and our prayer is with Crossroads is, is that we become a church that when people look at us, they don't see us. They see Jesus. I mean, you think that that sounds peculiar, but it's the truth. You know, 
if you don't understand the magnitude of this, it was one of St. Patrick's famous prayers that, that when people would see him, that they would see Christ. When people would hear him, they would hear Christ. When people would speak of him, they would speak of Christ. This is famous in his, in his, in his desire and his prayers that Christ in the eyes of those who see me, Christ in the ears of those who hear me, Christ in the words of those who speak of me. And it's the magnitude that we're desiring here. And because we see what happen, is happening with Jesus, that Jesus is working in the midst of the world and, and it, is, it is bringing attention. And God is being glorified. And then he goes on in verse 32, he says, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And he begins to say, that this positive effect has an echo in it, and it reverberates out. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want is for people to think that I did a good job. What I want people to think is, is that I have a great Savior and a, and a noble King, and that's what I want. And I hope that's what you want. Because when we look at this, we begin to realize that there's this moment where it just, it is, it is this this place, because what happens is when the testimony is sent out of what God is doing here, people come to it, and they want to see it. And the point is, is that when they do that, that they can then be a part of then shining all of this radiant light back on Jesus. And then it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And it's this powerful picture, because God is going to bring some of that right back here. It says, God will also glorify him and himself and glorify him immediately. Immediately. This picture of Jesus being glorified. You know, oftentimes it's very awkward, and I don't know about um, the musicians on the stage. And by the way, I don't probably say enough about what our musicians do. I mean, Barak is doing a wonderful job, but our musicians are faithful to it, and it's amazing what they do here. But I know that they probably are not unlike me in the aspect that when people come up to them after a worship service and they say to them things like, well, good job. I really appreciated what you did. You know how awkward I feel in those moments? You know what I typically have learned to discipline myself to say? I just say, God is good. God is good. If you heard anything noteworthy from me, God is good. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say things like, man, God was really talking to me about, and they'll say something, and I'm like, man, I was not preaching about that, so praise God. That is not what I was talking about, but God is speaking. Let's listen to God. And when I don't say that, typically the next response is, thank you. Just, I don't know what else to say. I was telling, and I've told this to many of the people who are, are getting more acquainted with me, that, you know, the last place I want to be is in front of people. Preaching is something different. I don't know why, but it is. God called me to it. I surrender to it. I get up here, and I can talk to you about God. But, man, I don't want to be in front of people. When it comes time to recognize people, I want to be in the back. You know, if I had my brothers, I wouldn't sit up at the front. I would sit at the back. Why? Because I had brothers that were older than me that you smack me in the back of the head. And so I like to have the whole room in front of me. You know, the funny thing is little brothers grow up, don't they? I don't get smacked in the back of the head as often, but now that they've heard this, they probably will. He goes on in verse 33 to say, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. And he begins to talk about, he begins to talk about his plan. And this is something that I think that we, we sometimes neglect because we're so interested in the personal application of what's happening in Scripture that we forget that Jesus is executing an outstanding unbelievably beyond imagination plan. His plan is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than all of us. And he says, 
I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, okay, okay? Point number two, if you're following along, is that Jesus sets an example for each of us to follow. I'll say it again for you. Jesus sets an example for each of us to follow. Jesus is telling us what his plan is, and he's showing us that his, his time here is not forever. I'll never forget having a, a really hard conversation, and I know this is going to feel a little bit maybe alien to the, the, the greater conversation we're having here this morning, but a dad comes to my office, and he's talking to me. And he's in all earnestness. He's really concerned about his family, and we're getting ready to do some stuff and at the church, and he wants to get his kids signed up for a course that we're going to teach. And, um, and he's telling me about really investing in his kids a lot. And I asked him a question, and I'll, I'll never forget the response. Because he was talking about how he was pretty systematically kind of bailing his kids out of, of trouble. And I said, I, man, I think that's great. And you're a great father. You have a good heart. I said, I, I, man, I think that's amazing. I said, what's going to happen when you're gone? Who's going to bail them out? And he just, just was stunned. And I said, you do know that part of your responsibility is to prepare them for the road, not protect them from it. Because you were not meant to be here with them forever. So you need to prepare them. And I remember that this silence is kind of like the silence I feel in here. It got real tense. If you're a parent in this place and you love your children enough to help them, God bless you. Thank you. You need to help your children know that you won't be here forever and that you need to prepare them for what comes after you. And so, man, it was funny because he come back to my office a couple weeks later and he had brought a calendar. You know, people still have the ones that you hang up. Not all of them are on our phones. And here, if you're a person in this room that still hangs a calendar on the wall, say amen. I mean, I mean, we are calendar people, right? If you're a person in this room that only has a calendar on a phone, say amen. amen. There's a bunch of those too, right? He had brought a calendar that was hanging in his kitchen, and he brought it in, and he laid it down on my desk, and he says, I've circled the date on this calendar. And I was like, okay, what's that date? And he says, Independence Day. I said, sir, Independence Day is in July. And he says, no, no, no. This is Independence Day for my children, being independent from their need of me to take care of all their problems. And I thought, wow, what a statement. Jesus is laying out a plan where he just lays it real clearly out. He says, a little while longer, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. He says, so now I'm going to give you some really important instructions. His words were, so now I say to you. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he makes this really thick statement about love, right? Now, I want to pause for just a moment, and I want to step out of this sermon, and I want to talk about something that's going to infect the, the upcoming sermons that are going to happen here. As I've been talking with Barak, and I've been kind of praying about what we should be talking about, and I've been listening to, to, to some very important thinkers that have influenced my life, all of a sudden it struck me, okay? It was said recently in a podcast I listened to that oftentimes we sell the gospel as for the lost. Okay, the gospel means the good news. And it is for the lost. I mean, if you have sin in your life and you need to get rid of that sin, the gospel is for you. It is for you indeed. It is energized and excited for you. And I wouldn't want you to leave here thinking that that wasn't true. But it's also beyond that for every single believer that's here. The gospel doesn't stop with salvation. The gospel 
continues on. And why does it continue on? Because you have a king and you become part of his kingdom. And the excitement about this is, is that your king has this immense and unmeasurable way of navigating everything that is life and guiding us through all of it, providing for and doing and instructing and being every part. The good news is that we are no longer in need of finding out how to be in control of the moment, but only submitting ourselves to the one who is in control of the moment. And the powerful measure of this is, is that that gospel message, the good news is that you have a king that is eager to do that job, excited and energized to do it, and what he wants from you is to submit your life. When we baptize people, they're buried and raised to new life. To make the testimony, I make sure everybody that gets in the baptistry understands we are telling the world, we now follow Jesus. We believe that he died, was buried, and that God raised him from the dead, and we now follow him. This is not a, hey, you had sin, let's give your sins away, and by the way, you just gave your life away. No, this is a, I understand what I'm giving away. I'm giving away the, all the control to somebody that has the control, and I'm following him. And when you know that up front, you don't get quite so upset later when there's all this expectation of change of behavior. And he says this word, a new commandment I give to you. In light of what I just told you, the new commandment is important. Because if he is king, and he says it, then for us to do anything but it is heresy, it's treason, and it's in direct violation of your king's command. And it's broken because we think that it's optional. He doesn't say a suggestion I have for you. He doesn't say a good idea. He doesn't say positive and successful people do this. He says a new commandment I give to you. And if you are inside the realm of understanding anything about kingdoms, then you know that when the king speaks it, it is so. And to do anything less is to, is to be a, a traitor. And he says, I give to you that you love one another. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor. And I know I, I've recently, you know, I, I keep kind of wrestling with all the introverts in the world, you know, and dealing with this because as an extrovert, it's completely foreign to me. And there's this, this model that I read recently that's like the amount of time preparing for the turn to your neighbor part in church is like all morning. And then the amount of time recovering is all the time after until well into the afternoon. So I understand if this is you, I apologize in advance. But I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, you're not as easy to love as you think you are. But my king told me that I should love you, so I'm going to love you. Okay, for those of you that were not prepared for that emotionally, I apologize. The Lord our God has told us to love one another. But you know what? The people right around you might be super easy to love, and that's why you sit with them at church, but the people maybe a couple pews over, maybe a couple rows over, maybe a couple chairs over might be hard to love. Do not walk up to them after church today and say, you're not as easy to love as I'd hope. Walk up to them and say, I'm a servant of the king and I submit to him and I'm going to obey him and I'm supposed to love you. Part of this loving our neighbor is our self 
that we're going to embrace as a church as our primary strategy starts with hearing the king and obeying him. Point number three, our relationships with others reflects our relationship with Jesus. We could cry out from the, from the, the, the chair that we sit in at church and we can sing it in our cars as we drive down the road as we listen to our music. And we can pray on our knees in our bedrooms about how much we love our Savior. But if when we look at other people, if we do not love them, we are telling two stories and it is inconsistent and unacceptable. You know, it's hard sometimes. You know, we have this expression. I learned this from a guy that was a great, just a, just a tremendous influence mentor in my life. Ron Kanzler, he talks about this. He says, well, everybody's got some EGRs. And I was like, what's an EGR? Extra grace required, right? If you can't think of any extra grace required in your life, then you might be the extra grace required in theirs. It's okay. But when I come across somebody that's hard to love, you know what my prayer is? Lord, help me love them the way that you love them. I know I'm a work in progress. And I know I need his help because it is not possible within me to love everybody the way he loves them. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It's a command. It's hard sometimes to love people. As was clearly demonstrated by the laughter in this room just a few moments ago. He goes on to say in verse number 35, by this. And then the next word is a powerful word. It says all. It says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he's talking in his own group. You know, one of the things that I have learned about, about uh, churches and about different groups and organizations that, that claim, you know, religious affiliation, you know, one of the greatest things that we're good at is dividing and conquering each other. And that's a pitiful statement because it's true. And so I'm standing here today saying, anytime we're going to divide, we're going to divide to go out and accomplish a task working as two hands on the same, on the same body. We're not going to divide to hit each other or hurt each other or do anything that would detriment this, this union of this family because we have been commanded by the king to love one another. If we have disagreement, we will love one another. We will do it in our tone. We will do it in our actions. We will do it in our conversations in private and in public. We will do it everywhere because the king has commanded it. And when you transgress this line, you will know that you have defied the king, not your pastor or your church or your family members, but your king. He says, people are going to know that you're different. Did you know the word Christian only appears in the Bible a few times? The, in, in the literal meaning is to be Christ-like, the little, Christ, the little Christs. And there's, the picture is, is that the, the early church behaved so radically differently that they had to come up with an expression to describe, oh, those little Christs. Would you have any greater praise in your whole life than somebody might say, those people behave like Jesus. Those people tell a story about how someone changed their life. That is the story that I hope we will tell. Point number four, we tell a story with how we treat others. When you begin to behave in a way, and you know, and the, the, the folks that know me best know that I can get pretty energized whenever the people I love and care about the most are, are being 
insulted or assaulted or whatever, any way, any way, shape, or form, and I will be pretty fierce about this kind of a thing. But I have oftentimes made measure to make sure that I have tempered that with my faith, and when I have not, I have made opportunity to go and talk to people after and tell them that I felt like I had transgressed the line, that I had overstepped the mark. This should be something that is in the benchmark of believers is to go back and say, okay, some things have been said. You know, one of the expressions I love that I, I come across in, in a kid's movie, you know, I don't care for the, the tone you're striking in this moment. Some of you are thinking, man, I know that movie, and it's okay, you'll figure it out later. But, you know, you can be right at the wrong tone. I'm bad about this. I can be dead on right, but I can be, I can be doing it at the wrong tone. How about you? I can be, I can be, you know, righteously indignant at times when I probably need to be more compassionate. How about you? I can be wrong and cloak it in righteous speech. How about you? I don't feel very loving when that happens. How about you? What story are you telling? I mean, that's the, the thought here is, is, what story are you telling with your testimony towards others? Are you telling them that you love them? You see, love doesn't always take care of the needs of all the things that your children come to you with. Loving them is showing them how to take care of it themselves, knowing that you won't always be there. Or helping somebody learn how to do a thing instead of just doing it for them. Or loving them enough to set a boundary and telling them the truth. Love doesn't mean that you just have to be a, a whipping post for, for every person or everyone that comes along. But it means that you have to think about, how do I love them in this moment? You see, I, I had a guy come to me one time, and he was asking for some help at the church. And all of a sudden, it crystallized for me. It was this, this, this litmus test moment for me where I, I began to realize that the, the measure of it. And I thought, what he's really asking me is if God cares about him and God loves him. And he wants to know if I'll help him. He's, he's testing God right now. And so I just looked at him. I said, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to testify to you something else and help you with part of what you need. And it was, it was, it was amazing at how different he responded to that. I hear what you're asking, and yes, God loves you. But no, I'm not just going to give you what you want. See, Jesus all the time throughout Scripture is giving them what they need, not what they want. What we need is a king. What we clamor for in public opinion is a savior. Our king is a savior, but he is a king always. He has rescued me from my sin, but he's in charge of my actions evermore. What about you? We're going to stand. I'm going to invite the musicians that are going to come, and I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, there'll be an opportunity for you to come and respond. And you can just come to the altar. And if your simple request before God is, God, help me to love people the way that you love people, then that would welcome that th thoroughly, just over and over again. You can come and do that. But you might be coming this morning to say, I have not been or behaved in a manner that I was supposed to. And I want to cry out to you this morning, God, and tell you that I need forgiveness for that. And some of you might be here. And if you have 
pride in yourself and don't think that this place is a place to do that, that you can do it privately later. Don't miss this moment because trust me, we will celebrate more thoroughly if you're willing to give your sin up right now. I think that people oftentimes think of this as some kind of barrier, that there's embarrassment or shame here. I suggest this is the opposite. This place has existed for the years that this building has been here for the express purpose of receiving people in their time of need and their time of desire to be close to God. And it exists for you now that you would come. So let us pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you, you are our king and that you have commanded us to love others. Lord, forgive us for the many times when we have acted unloving in our households, to our children, to our spouses. Lord, in our words towards others, Lord, Lord, to the community around us, that the words that we have said, Lord, we pray forgiveness. That we would be, that we would be witnesses and testimony of our love, first for each other, and then for others beyond here. That then people would know that we follow you. That we would live this testimony of loving our neighbor as ourselves at the very fiber of our being and our bones. Lord, and because we have, have an opportunity to come to you today, we ask for your help with this, that we would submit fully to you in this. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.